The fellas are out in the real world and things get real. Real litigious, that is. Also, everyone goes shopping and gets stronger. Plus, Fitzroy scams a free drink. Roll to enjoy this episode. It's a critical hit. We listen to episode four of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Welcome back to Talking Taz, your weekly deep dive into the latest episode of the Adventure Zone Graduation. With you, as always, is your wonderful host and producer, me, PJ, and my wonderful co-host, Lauren. That's me. Let's get into it. What did you think about this episode? Ooh, I liked this episode. Getting to go outside of the school and experiencing Travis's world outside of heroism and villainy was super cool. I'm a little torn on this episode. I liked a lot of it, but I also found a lot of it kind of boring. Okay, well, I mean, it is the... It's kind of like the lunar interlude from Balance where they went shopping. Don't you dare. Lunar interludes were actually entertaining. Oh, my God. That was so spicy. Not to say that there are no entertaining aspects of this episode, but to agree with Justin, some things were just unnecessary, and we'll jump into that. All right. We start the episode up top with pure chaos as we just have some really fun banter back and forth between the boys and Clint. Oh, yeah. It was really funny. As that winds down, we find a horse-drawn cart piloted by Groundsy heading from the school to Last Hope. In the cart is Buckminster Eden, Leon, Argo, who is a temporary sidekick to Buckminster, Rainier Michelle, Sir Fitzroy Maplecourt, and Master Fearbolg, who are Rainier's temporary henchmen. Yeah, they really divided them into like a hero group and a villain group this time, which I'm super here for. They are headed out for a real-world assignment, Buckminster leading the heroes, Rainier leading the villains. Kale, the placements counselor, has let them know that there is a mine just south of Last Hope containing magical crystals. The mine is at a standstill due to a dispute between the mine owners and their workers. The heroes have to settle the dispute in a way that makes the workers feel supported, while the villains must settle the dispute in a way that benefits them. They have all taken out a 200 gold piece line of credit with Osric. The governor is offering a 1500 gold piece reward for solving this dispute. As the school is concerned about the bottom line, the students cannot incur costs over 1500, including their credit, or their grade will be impacted. Any treasure or gold they find will count them back into the positive. I mean, Travis did tell us that accounting was going to be a major part of this world. And I agree with Griffin here, where he laments that apparently accounting is not just an in-game thing, it's an actual mechanic, which I agree with Griffin and Justin here. I'm not here for it. Okay, but I mean, Justin leans into it really well. You can lean into anything you want, doesn't make it good. (gasps) Listen, just because accounting is boring in our world, I don't know. I enjoy it. I think it's really funny. To bring in something that's so clinical into something that's so fantastical. Look, I agree story-wise. I don't agree gameplay-wise. That's all I'm saying. Okay, that makes sense. To which Travis gleefully shares the details of the financial system he's created. Justin asks for a recap of the situation under the guise of a listener who zoned out thinking the explanation was boring but realized it was important. Travis asks if Justin was a listener and Justin pshaws the thought away and we get a simplified rundown from Travis. Travis begins to run through the entire story before Justin says he got all of that, and then Travis can guess where he lost him. Hint, it was the accounting details. Travis offers a simplified explanation of that as well, and the boys seem to understand. Travis tries to get the boys to talk in character about their level up, but Clint just exclaims he feels leveled. (laughs) Griffin corrects him to say Travis wanted a more in-game explanation of your leveling, and Justin delivers the wonderful, You're now three summers old. The wisdom of Neverwinter has seeped into your bones. (laughs) Like that very dramatic, like, oh, I'll give you an in-game explanation of (laughs) leveling. 
Clint disregards all of this and begins to explain his leveling. As is very commonplace at my tables as well, he believes he got literally nothing from a level up. I mean, that's kind of how non-magic users feel, because with magic users, you get like all these cool new spells. But But to the point that's going on here, just like what happens at my tables a lot, people think they got nothing. And the second I'm like, are you sure you got nothing? They're like, oh, I guess I did get things. You always get something. But he got like the best things. Yeah. (laughs) And this is what happens with my tables a lot, where I'll be like, hey, you guys level up, and they're like, I didn't get anything. And I'm like, what about this? They're like, I didn't even notice I got that. And that's basically what happened here because Clint was very much like, I didn't get anything. And after a little bit of guiding from Travis, he was like, oh, I mean, I guess I got cunning action. And then when Griffin's like, well, what archetype did you take? He's like, well, Swashbuckler. So I also got Regish Audacity and Fancy Floorwork. So I'm like, you got three of the best abilities in the game. And one. In one go, like, you need to relax, Clint. (laughs) Hashtag rogue life, though. Yeah, seriously. Rakish Audacity is one of the best rogue abilities in the game as a whole. I love rogues. So much for not getting anything. I mean, uh, Travis also mentioned Magnus here because he felt the same during Balance where, like, Justin as Taco was getting all these super cool new spells and Clint as Merle was also getting amazing like blessings from his god and then magnus was like you can swing harder but see i also think that's such a player mentality because i think every player feels like everyone else gets the cooler stuff because i know sometimes i will be talking to like my magic casters and they're like oh all i got was new spells and then my fighters will be like now i can attack twice they both think the other person got the cool thing that's true Fitzroy reveals officially that he is a wild soul barbarian, which had been fairly obvious, but I I still dig it. Now it's an official game mechanic as opposed to like a homebrewed game mechanic. Mm -hmm. He reveals he can now detect magic at will, gains advantage on deck saves, and best of all that he has wild magic surges. Now the wild soul table is a lot smaller than the traditional sorcerer table. The wild soul table is only a d8 with 8 possible effects as opposed to the wild magic sorcerer who rolls percentile dice and has 50 possible effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, much smaller window of possibility yeah it's kind of a a less interesting way to play wild magic in my opinion i read through the wild soul barbarian table and it's like mostly good effects as opposed to the wild magic sorcerer table where there are like some really bad things that can happen to you to me that i guess that makes sense because the wild magic sorcerer they're focused on their magic whereas the wild soul barbarian is also a, a fighter yeah no i mean it totally makes sense for sure yeah before we can learn about master fearbolg's level Justin is distracted by a most untriumphant poop his cat has taken, to which he jokes he is in the druidic circle, the ninth circle of hell, which I will now go home and homebrew because that actually sounds really interesting, a hellish druidic circle. Justin jokes about picking a circle as if it were rush week for fraternities and reveals that after some initiate hazing, such as forcibly staying awake and drinking beer out of a gnome's butt cheeks, an extremely well-paid gnome to be clear because it is an art. Yes, yeah. He has chosen to go with a circle of the forest. Justin doesn't get into too much detail, though, as he wants to get going with the action, and I can't help but agree. Yeah, Justin is often the <laughs> the one who brings everyone back into the story and like, okay, we need to like move this forward. And... Yeah, Justin is my spirit animal in this season. <laughs> oh, uh, spirit animal? He was the, he's a, he's nature boy. Yes, he's my spirit nature boy. Buckminster suggests that the heroes and villains work together, at least at the top of the exercise, to gather information. Fitzroy poorly attempts to be a villain by begrudgingly imploring Buckminster to eat his shorts. <laughs> the way the way Griffin said it. Eat, eat my shorts. Several eat, times. Eat like, my shorts. It out. <laughs> the villain track's clearly very foreign to him. Yeah. Well, it's clearly also not necessarily the way he's supposed to play it, as Rainier lets him know that this isn't a LARP exercise. <laughs> he doesn't have to force himself to be a quote-unquote villain. 
After some conversation, they agree that working together is a right course of action. And Master Fearable drops some accounting details. And I was hella proud of my boy. Yeah, he's doing so well in his accounting. Rainier turns to Fitzroy and tries to play along, though, saying that they don't trust these villains before correcting herself to say she doesn't trust these do-gooders. Both times, Fitz lets out a very skeletal, <laughs> which I just loved. <laughs> so funny. Rainier asks Master Fearbolg if she can give him a nickname, as Master Fearbolg is a bit cumbersome. Mm-hmm. She decides on Y-E-W-U, which I did not support. No, I wasn't a fan. I am invested in the name Master Fearbolg, and I will die by this name. I really like Master Fearbolg. Or so I thought. What? Uh, because Fitzroy gets upset that Rainier is trying to muzzle her way into the naming the big Fearbolg game as Argo and him have been at it for months now. Justin asks if they've settled on Master Fearbolg. They offer that they had Furby and Bud before Fitzroy offers the new name, Dr. Mushrooms, which the Fearbolg accepts. <laughs> I mean, that's a very prestigious title, Dr. Mushrooms. Well, yes, he went to eight years of Mushroom Medical School. You better see the full name. It's a respect thing. I, yeah. As both Dr. Mushrooms and Fitzroy call out. That's true. Yeah, he has a lot of mushroom experience. Rainier does offer fungi as an alternative, which gets a good laugh out of everyone, including <laughs> me when I was listening. Yeah, I did too. A preemptive warning. As I wrote these notes, there are several times where I jump between Dr. Mushrooms, Doc, Master Fearbolg, The Fearbolg. So I will be reading them differently as we go. What is this? A Russian novel? Yes, this is the Brothers Karamazov. The gang goes shopping, but not in a montage, because how would you do an audio montage? Griffin jokes that during the montage, he found the ancient wizard staff of infinite power for a great price and leveled up to 20 before we move into the actual shop. The first shop offers items for everything from fieldwork to royal events, beautifully named Barnes and Nobles. I was so happy. The other shop is unnamed and has tomes and scholarly supplies. The gang groans at this time, a true sign of a good pun as they respect Barnes and Nobles. Trav jokingly gets defensive and says Griffin named his shop Fantasy Costco, to which Griffin accurately points out that that name inspired a generation. <laughs> and a whole song. It, one of the best songs. It was my ringtone for a long time. <laughs> but I will say, I think it really did inspire a generation. I know so many dungeon masters who have created shops in their world very much based on the Fantasy Costco naming scheme. Including you. Yes. Uh, in our home game, our shop is Bed Bath and the Great Beyond. Which is always super fun to go shop in. It is run by a Kenku named Kaken who talks like Christopher Walken. Honestly, shopping in game and Bed Bath and the Great Beyond is one of my favorite times in oh, our thanks. in our campaign. The stores are side by side and seemingly have a combative relationship. There are signs outdoing each other's deals and just generally there's a lot of animosity. The gang enters Barnes and Nobles, and upon entering, everyone realizes that these shops are in the same building, only separated by a painted yellow line. Barnes and Nobles is run by a mouse folk, and the unnamed shop is run by a tabaxi, which are cat people. So a cat and a mouse. The mouse folk has a voice somewhat similar to Festo's, so Trav does his best to keep them separate. Fitz tries to buy the cloak of Classy, which he loves the cloak but doesn't love the name. However, after learning of its flavor, the ability to accentuate your best features and make any outfit look classy, and stats, a plus two to charisma, as well as its designer, listener Katie Noth, but in-world a genuine Katie Noth, Mm -hmm. at this price? (laughs) Were you born in a barn? And nobles. Yes, the mouse folk was born here. There are not placentia everywhere because they were born upstairs because this is a family business. It is a family business. Fitzroy takes the cloak and his calves look amazing. Argo starts to address the mouse folk and deep breath, here we go. The mouse folk is named Geraldine and goes by Jerry. I was screaming. Justin McElroy, not the Fearbolg, 
is in the shop yes. and compliments the name before asking if the tabaxi is named Tom. The tabaxi asks if someone called for him before <laughs> Juice steps out and gets into the car with Clint. Can we say Justin was, uh, he pointed out he was looking for windbreakers. Yeah, no, uh, I imagine him very much like how Griffin played his younger self in Bigfoot Stole My Friend's Christmas Present. Oh, yeah. Or birthday present. I'm sorry, I forget the name. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, where he's like very like cool 90s version of himself. That's how I imagine Justin. I imagine like a younger Justin with like a like red, green, and purple windbreaker with a backwards cap and like shades. <laughs> and he's looking for another cool windbreaker. But he got so distracted by the cool, cool names of Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, the cat Love and it. mouse who run Barnes and Nobles. Although they also brought up Clint McElroy, the plain walking janitor. Yes, Clint McElroy, who is here from previous appearances in Balance. Yeah. So both Justin and Clint have now both made separate appearances in these campaigns. Now we just got to wait for Trav and Griff. Oh, man. Argo takes a look at buying a sword named Florence, which has two charges that give an additional plus three to attacks. There is an inclination that Argo might steal the sword, to which Fitz feels inclined to let Jerry know this. Jerry just calmly states that if the sword goes missing, he will be charged for it. Argo tries to barter down the price by a single gold piece, and Jerry refuses to barter. <laughs> That's not much bartering. It's Just... not. He was like, oh, it's 200 I'll buy it for 199 which I would have done as a DM. But Travis was like, no, no deal. You either pay me 200 or you get the hell out of here. Well, I mean, Griffin was similar with the flaming, raging, poisonous sort of doom. Yeah. And look how that turned out for him. <laughs> well, he's playing with his crafty brothers. Master Fearbolg buys the Spectacles of Sustaining, which, on a successful inroll, allows a wearer to essentially take a picture of the scene before them. Leon buys a jar of glue and a Trapper Keeper. <laughs> I love I love Leon so much. Best boy, Leon. Tom calls over Argo, as well as reveals that Jerry is his adopted sister. Fitzroy buys the Notebook of Far Speech. Master Fearbolg buys the Pocket Gary, a portable Gary that allows him to ask a limited number of questions, as if he had a Gary with him. He is also connected to the hive mind, as all Garys are. Do you think we're going to get more Gary help in uh, random situations? And now they can do it wherever they want. Yeah. Fitzroy also buys a plus one maul, confusing it for a magical staff, as he doesn't want an extremely damaging weapon around, which is just beautiful RP. <laughs> Fearbolg buys some glue. He does buy glue. Rainier and Buckminster fetch the boys in Leon, as they have just learned that the mine owner is at the local tavern, run by Barb the bartender. There is a spectral hawk perched above the bar, Fitz has Snippers go investigate it and let Snippers know he wants the info promptly so he cannot stop to get a drink. <laughs> Snippers reports back on the hawk, but Fitzroy still cannot understand him. But he says he loves him. He does. I was so happy. He's like, ah, like I thought, I still can't understand you. And he's like, and he's like, I love you too. Oh. We learned that in the early steps of info gathering, most of the work is done by side people. Hench kicks? What did we end up agreeing on? Uh, We did... It was side people. Side people. So that if something goes wrong, the Velos, or was it Heathens? Velos. Velos. I got it right. <laughs> Velos have plausible deniability. Fitzroy asks if they serve kombucha. They do not booch here. They but do. they do have sparkling yerba mate. Which surprised me. Yes, I've never had sparkling yerba mate. Nor have I. But it costs five gold piece. However, Fitzroy will not pay this as he is an influencer. <laughs> And with the help of his new cloak, successfully convinces a bartender of it. He says he writes a slice of life blog on his time at school called Sir Fitzroy Mablecourt, Night in Absentia for the Realm of Goodcastle's Excellent Adventure. I'd read it. Clint says that only leaves seven words for the blog and Justin accurately says, Dad making a wild assumption about how the internet works, he bets. <laughs> Clint is such a dad. It's so perfect. He really is. 
We learn that the bartender, and possibly a decent subset of people, are fully creeped out by the school, justifiably. Do you think that's another callback to Hogwarts? Where people were just like, okay with whatever happened at the school, whereas here they're like, "Mm." No, I don't, I mean, it might be, but I think it's really just, it makes sense. Like the bartender points out, it is located between the two most dangerous locations of this world. It trains villains, has haunted skeletons, and much, much more. But we've already established villains aren't necessarily evil that's how it's presented to us but that's not how it's probably presented to the general populace oh that's true you have to remember this is performative in so much as that's how it's designed but for the random people they probably see the villains as true villains that's a really good point because it is performative but in so much as when you're watching a marvel movie you you know that like you and i know that these characters are fake but the people in it believe them to be real Yeah. yeah i guess that's true Well, Barb is uh, rightly justified then in her creeped outness. And even though they get business from there, they don't drive the economy as much as the locals. Master Fearbolg asks uh, if they can sum up how economy works, but is dismissed. They then meet the owner of the mine, Jared Reginald of Reginald Orr. Or what? Just Orr. I was waiting for that joke. (laughs) (laughs) And Candace, the head of the workers. After some confusion where Candace thought Argo was hitting on her, we get the story of what's going on. The mine was not producing like it once was, so Jared had the miners go deeper and they unleash something and are now unable to mine. They need to file an insurance claim. However, if Jared is found to be at fault, he will get no compensation and the workers get the claim payout. The inverse is also true if it is found that the workers were at fault. I took that as a a Lord of the Rings reference, by the way. They, They got too greedy. They dug too deep. I don't know that. Oh, that's right. You don't know Lord of the Rings. Yes, I do not. <gasps> it is a great shame. It is a great shame. Someone who loves D&D so much does mm, not know. I'll have, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in my other podcast. I'll link it when it happens. Wow. One day you'll see it. You'll know the dwarves got too greedy. They dug too deep. Hello, everyone. It's me, PJ, your chipper chum and guy through the world of graduation. Thank you as always for tuning in. Your continued support means the world to us. You know what else would mean the world to us? If you interacted with our social media. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talkin' Taz or search Talkin' Taz Podcast on Facebook. Alternatively, you can go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. Links to all of that will be in the show notes for this episode. We always appreciate those of you sharing our posts and spreading the word. A few notes from this episode, the Bigfoot Amnesty one-shot was named, Oh Dang, Bigfoot Stole My Car With My Friend's Birthday Present Inside. It is one of the funniest pieces of podcasts I've ever listened to, and I highly recommend it, especially if you've completed Amnesty. In this episode, we pondered whether Griffin actually attended law school. He did not. He attended Marshall University and studied journalism. We hope you join us again next Thursday and every following Thursday as we continue to listen through graduation. Now back to the podcast. Victoria asks if it would be possible to just defeat the monster, but Candace explains that it's big, strong, not alone, and none of them have the power to do so. At least of them, not of the group. Arco actually comes up with a brilliant plan to have the monster be at fault over either party. But then he says insurance companies are good people and looking to help, which... Not my experience. No. Do you think that's just Clint being a dad again? I think he just wanted to make the joke of, like, a good neighbor State Farm is there. (laughs) But if any of our listeners are insurance agents... You know I'm right, but also apologies. Yeah. Fitzroy loves the plan and plans to subpoena the monster for fault. Jared explains they'll need proof that the monster received the subpoena. 
To which Argo also points out that Dr. Mushrooms would be perfect for this, as he has an affinity with creatures and has glasses that can take pictures. Justin is shook and asks if this is really their plan, and Griffin explains that based on his knowledge... Of real-world law school. Based on his knowledge of real-world law, which he learned going to real-world law school... So he actually went. Griffin no. Griffin did not go to law no, school? No, I don't think so. Are you sure? Well, you know what? I'll look it up. I'll put it in the notes. Maybe Griffin went to law school. All I know Griffin as is the guy who invented, who created Polygon with Justin but, and then created a media empire. But then Griffin has like a lot of knowledge about law. He does. So, you know what? I'll look it up. I'll add it in the notes. Yay. Travis loves this idea and I would too as a DM. I love the insane plans that PCs have, especially when the dice are on their side. I love when players ruin my plans. And I know that sounds facetious. Like I love when players ruin my plans, but I actually do like when my players come up with creative solutions and it completely destroys whatever I had planned, those are my favorite moments as a DM. He does. He really comes alive when <laughs> we do something completely out of the box and he's like, ooh, now I have to like work with this. That's fun. Yep. That's my favorite part of being a DM. Travis lets them know they will need to go to a local lawyer to get his subpoena drafted. They try to figure out what kind of creature this is so they can draft the subpoena properly. We learned that Argo is the only one with a plus nature. Oddly enough, it's not the Fearbulg. It wasn't. That shook me. But I've had that because, you know, sometimes you build your characters. And even though a certain stat might make sense, I've had it where I've looked at one of my characters and been like, you're you're a detective character. Why don't you roll me investigation? And they're like, I have a plus zero to investigation. And I'm like, what? How, how is that possible? Argo realizes, based on the descriptions, this is a Zorn. X-O-R-N, an elemental creature that swims through the earth and eats rocks and gems. Griffin points out that Zorns are very Yonic, calling them very Georgia O'Keefe. <laughs> and I'd have to agree. Do you know what a Zorn looks like? I have never seen a Zorn before. Oh, yikes. Oh, that's hideous. I mean, no no disrespect to Zorns, but... But it does have a very Yonic opening up top. Wow. And as well that the other creatures might be the Magmen, which are also on that sheet. They're tiny little, like, lava munchkins. <laughs> they are. I'm here for the Magmen. That Zorn is got a face only a mother could love. Fitzroy does his job for the villains and tries to get a portion of the insurance payout for their assistance. He starts high and is offered a much lower deal. They consult Dr. Mushrooms to see if this is a good deal, to which he sits down. And I'm not sure if we are role-playing that he did the math and agrees just because Justin didn't want to bog everything down again, or he just freaked out as a character and sat down and immediately was like, yes, this is a good deal. Um, How did you read it? Oh, man. I could see it either way. I could see the fear bulb sitting down very confident. And then as soon as he gets plastered with numbers, goes, oh, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done. But then Justin also, you know what? My vote is for the fear bulb. I vote for the fear bulb too. They joke about their interaction with a lawyer with like, with little bits like, I might just be a small Southern lawyer, but I know you can't do a zone. <laughs> and then I love Travis's like, do you want a standard zone liability form? Implying that it's like a regular thing. Yeah. But I think they're doing this because they're like, yeah, we're going to joke about it because we're not actually going to have a scene with the lawyers. That'd be boring. And then Travis is like, too bad. Here's a scene with the lawyer. Here's a scene with the lawyer. So we do actually have to do a barrister scene, much to everyone's begrudgment. <laughs> Jade Johnson, the town lawyer, talks to the nervous group. They have her draft a subpoena while they remain vague on the details and are able to get her to successfully notarize the subpoena without really being too concerned about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Fitzroy tries to influence her his way out of paying for her the services rendered, <laughs> but Jade does not accept as she is the only lawyer for hundreds of miles and does not need the exposure. Yeah, Fitz really needs to learn to read his audience. 
Argo is about to try something else when Dr. Mushrooms just pays the fee. Well, Dr. Mushrooms was the only one with money left over after Barnes and Nobles. Yeah. Argo spent literally his entire allowance. I get that. That's what I would do too. I mean, yeah. What else is money for but to spend it? Argo is told he can take a mint as they leave. However, Jade notices he takes two, to which Argo says he's a rogue and then Jade just accepts it. Like, she's very clearly like, hey, you took two. And he's like, I'm a rogue. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't Carry even think on of then. that. That's so funny. <laughs> Fitzroy says he's going to leave a bad review on Fjelp, Fantasy Yelp, and tries to leave zero stars, but has to give it at least one to his annoyance. His exact review is, this lawyer is bad and made me feel bad while there. They helped me sue a monster, which was pretty radical. But anyway, she yelled at my friend about some mints. So if that's what you're looking for in your representation, go ahead. One star, the least number of stars, additional details. I tried to leave zero stars and feel wouldn't let me. That reads like a real Yelp review. The boys and Leon meet back up with Rainier and Buckminster and reveal their plan. So was Leon with them the whole time? I don't know. I think they honestly forgot about Leon. And then Travis was just like, also, Leon's here. Oh, I mean, that, that kind of reads for Leon. Oh, poor little Leon, my favorite. Oh. Buckminster begrudgingly agrees that it does fit all of the criteria they need. Rainier asks to ensure that their mission of also benefiting themselves is being looked after, and Fitzroy explains the deal he made for part of the insurance claim, which satisfies Rainier. Argo lies and tries to give Rainier and Buckminster the mints, telling them that they are magic mints that will make sure no harm comes to them. Rainier asks if he is lying, to which Argo quickly plays it off as a joke. Rainier very correctly points out that if they had believed him, they would have been in insane danger. It is a good point. I had, I don't know why I had assumed that even though Clint said he takes two mints, I had assumed he had taken enough for the whole party and had presented them with just like a sticky handful of half-melted mints. (laughs) That's so gross. Why are these mints melty? That's not usually how mints are made. I mean, if they're in his pocket and they're like all sticky most of the time. It it depends on the mint you go for. Oh my god, I don't want sticky mints. No (laughs) sticky mints for PJ. Or for anyone. I don't think anyone wants a sticky mint. Ugh, gross. They hear a giant roar inside the cave before a small creature made of magma makes its way out of the cave. Fitzroy scolds it for interrupting their conversation. Yes. <laughs> Argo says that might be one of the magmen, to which Fitz replies, it's rude is what it is. I am so in love with Griffin's RP as Fitzroy because he just can't be bothered with anything that doesn't deal with him. I love it. It's so good. Argo agrees it has no sense of etiquette. Dr. Mushrooms tries to speak to the magmen to let them know that they are being rude <laughs> before a dozen more magmen appear before the gang rolls initiative. Which, this is a classic Brennan Lee Mulligan move, which is end an episode on an initiative roll, which I love. It stresses me out. It's tasty. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm definitely going to go back and listen to the next episode. I would have anyway, but especially now, because we're like starting with a fight. I mean, as much as I was very begrudging about this episode when I was describing it at the top, I like 90% of it. It's just really that 10%, which is like, hey, accounting is actually a game mechanic, And you guys do actually have to talk to the lawyer was where I was like, "Mm, do we really have to have this scene? And I I think, honestly, the players agreed with me. Yeah, I wouldn't argue that. So you enjoyed the shopping trip. Oh, I mean, I did enjoy. I always enjoy the shopping trip. Yeah, I love shopping. Well, with all that, unfortunately, that is where we are going to have to end this episode of Taz Graduation and this episode of Talkin' Taz. As always, I have been PJ. 
I have been Lauren. And we hope you'll join us again next week when we are listening to The Fight with the Zorn in the next episode of The Adventure Zone. <laughs>